call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to say, Rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Welcome everybody. Welcome this morning to uh, Rock Church in Nazarene. And a um, couple of things I just wanted to make announcements for. Um, one was the prayer night last Wednesday. So just so that you know, we're praying for you. There's um, We split up the names of the church and kind of have you each in our thoughts through the next few weeks. And we'll continue to reach out and just, uh, you're being prayed for. Um, just know that. A um, couple of things. Uh, that came up, I'll, I'll be uh, careful and delicate with it, right? But uh, happy birthday, Dustin. So we were talking about you. <laughs> so, and uh, Cage just left, so he got to avoid me talking directly to him from front, but uh, happy birthday to Cage as well. So um, just things that are going on. So as, as you have stuff um, happening in your life, it's important that you share it with the folks around you because when we get together at per night, we're talking through like what can we be praying for you right and we want to know and we want to we want to make sure that we're there with you that our prayers are with your prayers and uh um, you're being prayed about and then um for the Reinbold, so they're in that process uh this is their i think first is it their first full week after they made their announcement right so um just be praying for them this is going to be a tough day this morning right now they're in the middle of it. They're probably just wrapping up, right? So um, be praying for them. And um, everything's going pretty smoothly. So we still expect to see them the first part of April. So that's um, just time frame. Um, know that. And then uh, Clint will talk about it later, but we're doing a special donation today for the uh, Justin family that lost their um, home to that fire. Um, so just uh, we'll go through that here in a little bit but just put that on your hearts if you didn't see the email about it we'll talk through it later but yeah that's what's going on welcome um i'm just gonna say a quick prayer and we'll get right back into worship lord we thank you so much we thank you that you care about the hurts that we have we thank you for the joys you put into our life and lord i just pray you'd be with us in all those moments and that we would be open to your guidance and be with us this morning as we worship, as we hear your word, as Clint brings the message to us, that we would be here right now. We would be in your presence and just open to you, um, move in our lives, move in our hearts, and be there for all of those things, the stress, the troubles, the hurts, the joys. Um, you're there in it all, and we thank you. We're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. today, God, with just openness. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you just ask for surrender, God, that you see all of the hurts, all of the difficulties, God, and it's truly when we press through and worship you during those times, God, that there's breakthrough, Jesus, and I'm just praying for that breakthrough this morning, God. For me and just for everyone here, God, that just 
just needs that, Jesus, as we all do. We thank you, God, that you are truly the one that keeps our earth rotating, God, just the God of the universe, but you are also a very, very personal God. Lord, you see the single mom that her house just burned down, Jesus. You see that family. You see their needs, God. You see my friend that's struggling this morning, God, with just heartache, Jesus. Because just life really just punched him in the gut, God. And I just pray, God, and we worship you, God, despite our broken hearts, God, despite difficulty, God, because you are God, and you love us, and you care for those moments, and you bring peace in those moments, God. You are great, and you are worthy to be praised all the time, Jesus. Hallelujah. Surprise to you, God. Hallelujah. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. Let's just sing that again. You give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You restore every heart that is broken. Pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your breath. 
Will you just declare this with us? That all the earth will sing His praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing praise. Oh, 
And wind 
for us to be able to spend eternity with him, for us to reflect his glory on this earth. I don't know if you caught the words of that bridge. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. That is a, that is a prayer of surrender that she wrote there. When she wrote that. Let go, my soul. God wants us to be in that place where we'll let go of our soul that will relinquish control to Him. 
And this, this time of worship, I was struck by the songs that we sang more than I probably have been in a long time. Not because it's about me or my family, but this has been a pretty crazy week for us. First, I got to celebrate and see my dad after six weeks. I got to see him for a day this earlier this week in Salt Lake. Just drove down there, drove to the hotel, stayed and drove back. It was, but it was awesome. And then when I got back, I found out that one of my friends here in Belgrade that, I, that I've done some business with and I've also coached some sports with, his mom a few years ago struggled with cancer in the course of the two days that I was gone. She got really sick and she passed. And then yesterday morning, we saw a post from a close friend and her husband was being life lighted to Denver with some complications from sickness and he had a bad heart too and so that complicated things. And last night at 7.30 he passed away and left behind a wife and three kids. And I'm struck by the words of the songs that we sang today because they speak to our situation that we've been encountering. But really what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying for all of us is to realize how he wants to speak into our situation. And that our worship, I'll be honest, there was discussion of, I don't feel like coming today. I don't feel like worshiping today. But it's in those times in our lives that breakthrough can happen, that, that walls can be broken down. And I just believe, we didn't know when we picked it as well this week, which Ambika is saying probably, a million times at memorial services over the course of the last, you know, 25, 30 years. That we would lose a friend last night. But the Holy Spirit orchestrated this because he cares deeply for us and he cares deeply for that family and he cares deeply for your circumstance. And if we will just grasp a hold of what Jesus is saying and grasp a hold of the principle of worship and grasp a hold of the principle of pressing into him, it is amazing what can happen in our lives. It brings us peace, it brings us comfort, and it brings us hope. Lord, we want to say it as well with our soul. Lord, I know that for our own family right now, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of sadness, God. There's a lot of lack of understanding, but we still declare that you are good. And Lord, I just pray for every person that is in this room and every person that's listening online, that today, by the end of this service, if there haven't been already, that they would be able to say, it is well with my soul. Lord, we just just ask for you to just expose in us the places where we just need to let our souls be well. That we need to just let go of it, God. And trust that even in the wind, even in the storms, even in the flood, that you will see us past those things. And you are good and you are faithful. We love you, God. And we declare that it is well with our souls today. And we declare today that you're going to do a work that would allow that, God. We love you.
It is well. Just sing it one more time. It is well with my soul. It is well. us right where we're at. And even when we don't realize what we need, he knows what we need. I just am super excited. If you can't get excited once in a while about what God's doing, you need to, you need to figure it out. That's not a statement of condemnation, but you need to ask God, God, what is it? that would allow my heart to be excited for the things you're doing. And I'm so excited today just to see as uh, tough as kind of this last little bit of time has been for us. Thank you, sir. You knew I was going to need that. I baptize you and then, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I can tell you guys a joke about baptism, but we'll do it later when we're not on camera. Okay. Um, as tough as this last little bit has been for us, and as good as this week has been too, it really was awesome to see my dad and be able to hang out with him. And um, still not easy to see him in the condition that he's in necessarily, but he's doing amazing for um, what's been going on. So, um, but uh, I just, I just am so excited because I just believe the Holy Spirit just or orchestrated every part of today with the words of these songs to the message I'm preaching about the woman at the well today I know that it is well and the well are different nouns but still the principles that we're going to take away from this today go hand in hand with that worship and that time so I'm really excited I hope you are too if you're not maybe just pray God can I get a little excited for what you're doing today okay if we can get excited for sports games we can get excited for birthday presents we can get excited for those things. If we can get excited for snow so we can snowmobile a little bit more. We get excited for summer because the Yankees are playing. Right? Right? All things that I get excited about. We should be excited about what God's doing. Amen? And we should be excited about the season that we're going into. Um, we don't know if it's going to work out. We hope it is. Uh, as far as uh, Emmanuel maybe being able to be here that first week in April, that's what it looks like. But I was joking with him the other day. I was like, hey, you know, Easter is about a new life. It's about resurrection. You need, to, you need to come and preach your first sermon as our pastor on Easter. That'll be awesome, right? Um, but we should be excited about what God's doing in, in this community, what he's going to do um, through all of us, but also having Pastor Emmanuel and his family help lead us. Um, and uh, as we are in this season, as we get ready here in just a few weeks to just celebrate 
the greatest thing that ever happened. Jesus rising from the dead. Uh, him laying down his life and then rising from the dead. Um, let's get excited about that, okay? So there were two strangers and they met beside a well on a hot afternoon in Samaria, right? One was a woman. The other was a man. We know that part of the story, right? We don't know the woman's name, but we know the man's name, right? The man was Jesus. And they had a brief conversation, and it changed her life. Are you grateful that Jesus can just have a brief conversation with you, and you can have a brief conversation with him, and it can change the trajectory of your life? We look at these conversations that Jesus had because they teach us how Jesus interacted not only with the woman at the well, but with all of us and how we should interact with those around us. See, times change, but the human heart remains the same. We have the same hopes. We have the same fears. We have the same dreams. We have the same doubts. And we struggle with the same problems, right? Uncontrolled anger, foolish choices, misplaced priorities, hypocrisy, guilt, indifference, frivolous curiosity, misguided ambition, limited faith, convenient excuses, nagging doubt, compulsive busyness, broken dreams, and personal failure. Doesn't that just make you feel good when we read off that list of struggles? I'm just like, check, check, check. Hey, I'm, I'm real. Just, I'll just check all the boxes. I don't even get to say, oh, I've never struggled with that one. I'll just say, yep, struggle with that one, right? Sometimes I also hear people talking about, well, the Bible needs to be relevant. And I don't think the problem is, is the Bible's not relevant because the Bible's always been relevant. I think the problem is, is that we have not allowed the Bible to be clear. We try to be cute with stories. We try to think about things in, in a way that we, we try to reach our culture by making it more relevant and that's and some of that is okay some people are in a different places of the journey but really what I'm getting at is sometimes we've not made the Bible clear which is the thing that makes it relevant if we made it clear more often it would be so relevant that sometimes we probably wouldn't want to hear some of the stuff that's said in it because it would make us uncomfortable and demand a change in our lives right the story of Jesus and the woman at the well is very familiar and I, I'm struck, though, how simple and profound that story is. It's, it's uh, a lovely sound coming from the heavens right now, uh, or the HVAC system, I should say. Sorry, I'm distracted if you're watching online. Uh, squirrel, right? It's simple and profound. It's also, there's a lot of layers to this story, and I'm not going to tackle them all today, but there's a lot of layers. And, and this, this man meets a a woman in a seemingly chance encounter, right? And in a few brief moments, her life has changed forever. And there are lessons here. If you don't realize it, there are lessons here. And I'm not going to go into all these today. Don't get too uncomfortable in your chairs. I could really attack these over six or seven weeks, but Emmanuel's not going to give me that much time because he's going to be here sooner than that, right? Racial prejudice. Religious hatred. Dealing with moral outcasts, all of those things are part of this story, right? And as we begin, I should also note that this is actually the longest recorded conversation that anyone has ever had with Jesus in the Bible. It's the longest conversation. 
It's longer than any of the recorded conversations of him and the disciples. And it was a hot day that day, and the sun was beating down on Jesus' head. And to make matters worse, he had been traveling with his friends since sunrise. The sun was directly over their head, and they were hurrying to make their way through a part of, this, a part of the country as quickly as possible. Why were they trying to get through there as quickly as possible? Because they did not want to be there. Samaria was not a place you went if you were Jewish. And he came to a well with a rock ledge built up above the ground, just like they are in the Middle East. And he sat on the lip of that well, and he thought to himself, oh, if I could only have a drink. And at precisely that moment, this woman comes along. It wasn't the normal time. It was like about lunchtime, right? And it's unusual for women to come to the well alone. But this woman was different. See, the Bible says she came from the tiny village of Sychar. We know basically where Sychar is. It's in the Sumerian territory, and it's nestled between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Sychar was located in a very strategic point in central Palestine. The well was about one half mile outside the village near the point where the two trade routes come together. It was called Jacob's Well. Why was it called Jacob's Well? Because it was Jacob's land. Yes, Jacob. Jacob, the one that you read about in the Bible, right? Okay? And he had dug it some 2,000 years earlier. Weary travelers throughout Israel knew it was a place that they might drink from a spring that had been flowing some 150 feet below the surface of the ground. And as the woman looks at Jesus, and he at her, there are four invisible walls that stand between them. There is a religious wall, there is a gender wall, there is a racial wall, and there is a moral wall. And Jesus found a way through all of them. And I want to encourage you today, whatever the walls are in your life, Jesus can find a way through them. He found her, and then she found him. The first part of the story is where Jesus makes contact with the woman. It's in John 4, 1 through 8. And it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing them, it was his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea, and he went back one more or he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town for food. Will you give me a drink? Geography is all important in understanding this story. See, there were three regions stacked on top of each other. There was Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, and Judea in the south. The easiest and the quickest way to Galilee from Judea was go due north right through Samaria. Verse 3 says that Jesus had to go had to go, had to go through Samaria. Now, why would he do that? The answer is, he didn't have to do that. 
there was another route he would have taken. In fact, it was the route that most Jewish people took when they had to go. They took kind of this long route around, this little diamond-shaped route around. They did not want to go through Samaria. It was out of the way, but it meant they wouldn't have to go through Samaritan territory. A little history will help us at this point. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. It all went back to about 722 B.C. when the Assyrians conquered Israel and they took the northern ten tribes into captivity. They brought in Gentiles from other areas to settle in that same region. And eventually those Gentiles, with their pagan ways, they actually intermarried the Jews who had been left behind. And over the generations, those people were called Samaritans. And they developed their own religion that was partly based on pagan ideas and partly based on Judaism. And eventually they built their own temple on a place called Mount Gerizim. And they developed their own language and they even had their own version of the Old Testament, which only had five books. See, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans as religious and racial half-breeds. Now, maybe in our current culture, you would say, I would never use that term. But that's basically the term that they used for this. That's what they considered them. And they were heretics because they mixed the religions. It's, it's hard for us to understand the animosity that existed between these two groups, but everybody that was a Jewish, including these 12 disciples, the closest followers of Jesus, who were taught to love, who were taught to reach out, because of the way they were born, because of the way they were taught, because of the way they were raised, said, I will not deal with Samaritans. And maybe it's hard to understand the animosity, but if you think Bosnians and Serbs, or you think Palestinians, Palestinians and Israelis, you've probably got the general idea of the disdain that these two people groups had. Okay? And that brings us to verse 3. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria when the Jews either didn't go there at all or they passed through there as quickly as possible? Jesus went because he intended to meet this woman. He knew that she'd be coming to the well at precisely the moment he was sitting there, weary from his journey. Nothing happens by chance in this story. Every detail is part of the outworking of God's will. And that, I think, is a hugely important point. The woman isn't looking for Jesus. All she wants is water. But Jesus is looking for her. You have to go through Samaria to reach the Samaritans. He doesn't avoid Samaria. He doesn't hurry through it. Though she does not know it, this woman has a divine appointment with the Son of God. You ever been anywhere and wanted to hurry through because you didn't want to see somebody or you didn't want to encounter? Right? Jesus is like, no, I need to reach this person and I have to go there to do it. Reaching people for Christ is not always comfortable and may at times be difficult, but you have to go to where the people are if you want to reach them. Comfort is not the issue. A firefighter does not go into a burn or does or he a firefighter goes into a burning house to rescue those inside. He doesn't stand outside and just say, Hey, come on out before your house burns down. Come on out. Right? 
He doesn't do that. Jesus intended to save this woman, so he had to go to where she was. And she came alone to the well at noontime, and this was potentially dangerous and somewhat unusual. Women, or women normally came together to the well, morning or evening. It was like a bit of a social event, right? There's kind of that image of uh, gals sitting around at the beauty shop catching up on the latest news, right? That was the well back in the day, okay? They, they hung out. The fact that the woman came alone maybe meant that her checkered past was well known to the villagers. Perhaps she had been ostracized by the other women of Sikar when she went to the well with them. And that's why she was coming in the middle of the day by herself. The conversation begins with a simple question from Jesus. Will you give me a drink? He is tired and he is thirsty and she has the water that he needs. But actually, he has the water that she needs, right? He was thirsty and he knew it. But she was thirsty and didn't know it. The woman did not come to the well seeking Christ, but came to the well, or but he came to the well seeking her. Jesus is without prejudice. It matters not to him that others would not go to Samaria and others would not speak to this woman because he welcomes all and he shuns none. Luke 19.10 tells us that the Lord Jesus came to seek and save the lost this story tells us what that means. John 4 is all about sovereign grace. He found her. She didn't find him. The same is true for all of us. You will never come to Christ until Christ comes to you. What happens in this chapter looks like a chance encounter, but it was nothing of the kind. The time and the place and all the circumstances had to be arranged by God before the world began. How does... Christ is already here. He's already come to you. You just have to now come to him. You have to take this journey that the woman at the well had. The second part of this encounter was really the challenge, and it's what we find in chapter 4, verses 9 through 15. And it says, the, woman, or the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. It seems like she's got reasons why this drink can't happen. Do any of us have reasons why? Right? Where can you go to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. There's really three surprises in these verses. First, that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan. Second, that a man 
would speak to a woman he didn't know in public in that time was unheard of. In fact, it was pretty rare that a man that knew the woman that he was walking with would talk to him in public back then. It was unheard of. And third, that a Jew would drink from a Samaritan's cup. When the woman saw Jesus, she knew he was a Jew by the way he dressed and probably by his accent. She knew he was just a stranger passing through. And it was, in the first century, it was almost unheard of for a man to speak to a woman in public in those circumstances. And to ask for a drink of water was even more unusual since rabbis, were, or rabbis taught that it was a sin to touch a utensil that a Samaritan had touched. Like this is the initial kindergarten version of cooties, right? Do not touch what the Samaritan touched, right? When Jesus offers her living water, he is deliberately, he's kind of ambiguous about it. Because the phrase could also mean running water. He's trying to get her to be curious without making her suspicious. You came here for water. I've got water that you've never dreamed of. He is leading her step by step to saving faith. First he leads her to see her need. Then he reveals who he is. Then he offers her something that could change her life. He is offering her not to quench her thirst, but to banish it once and for all. I'm struck by the fact that Jesus returns again and again to the central issue, which is, do you know who I am? If you knew my true identity, you could ask, and I would give you water that leads to eternal life. And not just a drink of water, but a gushing spring that will well up within your heart. Maybe if you don't get excited about the things of God, you just need to prime the pump of the well with pressing into Jesus, with allowing him to give you more living water. In these verses, there's a simplicity of salvation. In verse 10, it says, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. That's all salvation is. It's God, it's asking God to save you and then receiving salvation in return. Think about that. Just ask for it. That's all. Just ask Jesus with a humble heart to save you. Salvation is yours for the asking. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, well, I've already got a relationship with Jesus. I've already been saved. I've already... Listen, this is a principle that we can use in our daily lives to go to him again and again and get what we need from him to guide us through the lives and the circumstances and the struggles and the pain and the heartache and the sadness and the anger and the unfulfilled expectations, whatever it is in our life. This is a, a principle that we need to have in our lives to go to the well. There's a reminder of vanity of all earthly things in this verse, that anyone who drinks the water of this world will thirst again. We all know what it is to be thirsty, and we know that our body can live for weeks without food, but only a few days without water. In verse 15, the woman even says, give me this water. She didn't even understand what it meant, but she wanted what he had. The third portion of this encounter is not a word that I say lightly and is not a comfortable word necessarily, but it's the confrontation in, in 16 through 18. And he says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. On one level, it appears that Jesus is being insensitive. Why would he bring up her past? Is Jesus trying to embarrass her? The answer is no, but his instructions to call her husband made her very uncomfortable. She doesn't want to go into detail, so she simply replies, I have no husband. Now that was true, but it wasn't the whole story. She knew she was hiding the truth, but what she doesn't know is that Jesus already knows the truth too. And so he proceeds to reveal the rest of her story. This woman has had five husbands, and the man she is currently living with is not her husband. In a sense, this is like the ultimate reality check for this woman. How could a woman in the day have five husbands? It's even, it's even rare today, right? It would be pretty unusual. Did they all die? That's unlikely. Had they, she been divorced five times? That might have been the case. Was there promiscuity involved? Most likely. Certainly she is currently living in a sinful relationship with a man outside of marriage. And the words of Jesus are a verbal slap in the face, and yet it was probably the most loving thing that Jesus could have done for her. There's an important spiritual principle at work here. Without the conviction of sin, there can be no conversion. There can be no change. God sees behind the mask to the reality within. And until we can come to grips with the sickness of sin or our own willful disobedience, We cannot be saved. Is Jesus being cruel? No more than a doctor that prescribes surgery to save your life. Will the operation be painful? Yes. But wait against death. The pain is part of the healing process. In another place, Jesus described his mission this way. It is not the the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come. Not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Just as a doctor might sometimes seem to hurt in order to heal, even so, the great physician of our soul must wound us with the truth about ourselves in order to heal the sickness of sin. I would just remind us and challenge us all, and I know this is even a prayer I prayed last night about a certain circumstance in my own life. God, Would you point out to me the portions of my heart that are not living in accordance to your will, the places that I'm not relinquishing control? Would you just expose them? Would you just lay that bare in my life so that I can correct? If there's things that are preventing these certain things that I don't like that are happening from happening because I'm not willing to relinquish control, and you're not doing it as punishment, but there is a spiritual principle at work Would you just lay that bare in my life? We need to make that a habit in our lives. By asking about her husband, he exposes this woman's lifelong pursuit of happiness, right? She's been in one failed relationship after another. And she kind of thinks every time, I think, this one will make me happy. This one will make me fulfilled. And each time she was disappointed. And now she's at the point where she's not even going to get married because it's just too big of a risk. She's been hurt too much, right? But the word of Jesus reveals this deep-seated loneliness, a hole in our heart that no man can feel. 
the words of Jesus go to the core of the problem. No human relationship can satisfy our needs. We're spiritual beings made for a relationship with God. There's a God-shaped vacuum in all of us that the only person that can fill it is Jesus. And if we don't allow him to fill it, we're doomed to restlessness and despair. Does Jesus love this woman? Yes, he does. He knows the truth and he still offers her eternal life. He doesn't say, well, because of this and this and this and the fact that you had five husbands, you can forget about it. I had something for you, but now I don't. That's not what he said. Here's the wonder of God's grace. Only someone who loves you can look at you and look at your past without blinking. Have you ever had that awesome friend, that spiritual mentor, that, that person that comes alongside you that can just tell you the truth? And even though humanly it can hurt a little bit, they can do it without blinking and you just know when you really look at it that it was just in love and it was just direct and it was the best thing for you. That's what Jesus was doing in this situation. Real love means knowing the truth about someone and reaching out to them anyways. He's not ashamed of her past, but he cannot help her until she gets beyond the shame and admits the truth. She's near the kingdom, but she's not in the door yet. He laid bare what she thought she could keep hidden. I think we try to hide things sometimes. We try to hide things from Jesus. And he's like, I already know. Just let me do surgery on you. Let me do the work. It'll, it's, it, it might be painful, but in the end, it will mean eternal life and not death. The fourth part of this is we're going to try to wrap up in the next five minutes rather than the next two hours. That's a joke for somebody in the room that I talked about before. Was the conversion in 19 through 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. She's turning this around. She doesn't actually address the thing about her husband. She's turning this around and she's trying to get into debate with him. Believe me, woman, a time is coming where you will worship the father neither here on this mountain, that's Gerasim, the place that the Samaritans created basically as a temple, right? Nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet there is a time coming. This is the message of Jesus that changes everybody. And it's for everybody. Where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God's is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah. Huh. Now it's not good prophet. It's you are the person that I was talking about. Right? She's actually saying, though, that she, are, he, she knows he's coming. I know that Messiah, when he comes, he'll explain everything to it. And then Jesus reveals, I am the one that you're speaking about. The one that speaks to you is who you're talking about. See, it's now clear she's met an unusual man because he knows her past. 
She thinks he must be a prophet. Since he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan, she begins to engage in this debate and try to flip the script. He simply tells her the time's coming, that geography doesn't matter. God wants us to worship in spirit and truth. He doesn't condemn her faulty theology. He doesn't say, you are stupid to worship at Mount Gerizim. That's not what he says. He says it's not going to matter. It wouldn't do any good for him to say that anyways. It would probably would make her angry and end the conversation. See, one of the great truths to come out of this story is that God is greater than geography, race, class, sex, religious tradition. True worship is not about where or how or even when. It's about who you are and who God is. And God wants worship that is based on truth and wholehearted personal commitment to him. The bad news is that religious activity doesn't really count. Going to church, being baptized, giving money, praying six times a day, following the Ten Commandments, having a quiet time every day, those things are good and they are truly good things. But they don't count with God when it comes to salvation. The real the reason they don't count is because anyone can go through those motions. Anyone can do those things and still have a heart filled with anger, bitterness, profanity, hatred, lust, greed, envy, pride, you name it. I'm not saying that those things aren't important. They're truly good when you're letting Jesus lay bare your heart and letting him correct the other things that are going on in your life. If I pray six times a day, but I'm angry all the time with somebody in my family. I'm not living committed to Jesus. The worship God accepts must be based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus and offered to him from a humble heart of faith. There's also equally good news in this statement that we just read, that if what God wants is spirit and truth, anyone can qualify. Anyone can qualify. It's not just limited to the Jews. The good news is meant for everyone. Everybody has equal access, provision. Salvation is not about going to the right mountain. It's about going to Jesus for salvation. She's seeing this. She's facing the water of life face to face. I forgot about the fifth one. So there's conversion and then there's changed life. 27 through 30. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to the woman. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said, people come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and made their way toward him. The woman was converted somewhere between verses 26 and 27. How do we know? Because she leaves her water pot and she goes and tells others in town. And she says, he knows me. He knows me. That's her reasoning. That's not exactly the Apostles' Creed. He knows me. And then she says, I think he's the Messiah. And that's not exactly the four spiritual laws. She's a pretty unlikely witness at this point. She's just like, hey, he, told, he, he read my mouth. He told me what's going on in my life. Come and see him. But, but she was willing to tell others about him. And God uses people that are willing to tell others about him. 
Notice her invitation. She doesn't say you must be born again. She just says, come and see. Come and see. Do we do that in our lives? Do we say, come and see this Jesus. Come and see this one that I've encountered. Because when you get living water, you want to share it with somebody else. And so many of the Samaritans in 39 through 42, they came to the town. They came from that town and believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. But when they got there and they encountered Jesus, then they said, we no longer believe just because of what you said he did. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. One woman with inadequate knowledge and just a mustard seed of faith brings her whole town to Jesus. She never attended any classes or read any books. She met Jesus. He transformed her life and she couldn't stop talking about it. What do we need to be saved? Realize that we're sinners and realize that Jesus is the savior we need. Go to the well today, whether you already have a relationship with Jesus or not. Go to the well and ask him, lay bare those things in my heart. Secondhand faith isn't what saves us. My wife can have all the faith in the world in Jesus, but that won't save me. I have to have my own personal relationship, right? No one is too sinful to be saved. We learned that today. Thank you, Jesus. Because I could say just as easily as it is in Scripture, I am the greatest of all sinners. No one is lost that the Lord cannot find them. No circumstance, no situation. No one is lost. No one can be saved without facing his sinful past. Lay bare those things in my life, Lord, that prevent me from growing closer to you, that prevent me from having certain situations be full of peace and joy that you've intended them to be instead of confusion and chaos. No one who faces his sinful past will be turned away from Jesus. Is it not awesome that you could pretty much confess anything to Jesus, which he already knows you did anyways, and he will not? I did, did I just say pretty much? That's not true. You can literally confess anything to Jesus, even though he already knows it, and he will not turn you away. No, that one's too bad. Sorry, didn't die for that one. He doesn't do that. And no one who meets Jesus will ever be the same again. Thank you for your well, Jesus. Thank you that we can meet you at your well. Thank you that even when other people come and they don't realize that they need your living water, if we will simply listen to you, we will listen to your heart, we will listen to your word, and we will lay bare those things in our life, you will help us share with others living water. Today we have that opportunity, whether you're online or you're in this room. Greg mentioned it. We have a single mother that encountered tragedy. And you know what the reality is? It doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter. Jesus would want us to reach out regardless of how it happened. 
And I'm not making a statement of how it happened because none of us totally know anyways. I'm saying it does not matter. If you want to start getting into discussions and debates about, well, you know, I don't know if we should help that person because they did this. Remember what Jesus did for you. I could go down a list. I'm not going to go into that commentary today. But even in this story, I encourage you to read this story and ask God what he wants you to get out of it because there is so much truth in this story that has to do with our culture today. There's a lot of people back then that wouldn't have said racism existed, but it did, and it's pretty clear. And I'm not talking about political statements. I'm talking about truth. We're called to love, and we have an opportunity today to meet this family right where they're at. doesn't matter. It does not. Jesus cares about their story, but it doesn't matter how the situation happened. And so I want to encourage you, if you're online, you can get on riverrocknaz.com, and you can go to the Give tab, and then there's a drop-down. There's Tithe and Other. If you put it under Other, your gift will go to this family, the Jessen family. If you're in this room, there will be a box right outside as we leave. And, and I want to encourage you to give. And we're going to bless this family. We're going to bless this family. Not for us to get anything, but because it's what Jesus would ask us to do. And we will pray that it will make a difference. Not for them just to rebuild their lives, but it will make a difference and it will sow a seed in their heart. I don't know their story. But Jesus does. And he wants them to know that he has living water too. And that we as a church can be part of that living water in a physical, tangible way. And so I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to end. But I want to encourage you, go to the well again and again. Ask God to lay bare your heart and recognize that there's no one and none of us that have gone too far that Jesus would not want to give us that drink over and over again. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can go to the well. We thank you that you have living water. And that water would banish any thirst that we would have. And God, even when we don't understand situations or circumstances, that you, you understand, God. God, we just pray that you speak into every heart and every life, God, for their own circumstances, the own things they're facing, the own giants they're facing, the struggles they're facing, the sadness, the anger, whatever it is that they're facing. But God, we just pray in this family that we want to bless, God, that we want to sow a, a blessing into their life, God, that we would give generously, that we would hear, that we wouldn't give under compulsion, but that we would give generously. And Lord, that you are just faithful and you are a provider, and everything is yours anyways, God. And help us in this way. Just be living water to this community. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're about to do. We thank you for the future of this church and of this city and this community as we continue to learn to reach in to the lives of everyone around us. And let us say, it is well. Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Grand earth's quakes before Moved by the sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you Through it all, through it all It is well Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you And it is well with me Far be it from me to not believe Even when my eyes can't see And this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it all through it all it is well through it all through it all my eyes are on you and it is well it is well So let go my soul And trust in Him The waves and wind Still know His name Let go my soul And trust in Him The waves and wind Still know The waves and winds still know his name. Would you stand just as a closing declaration? Sing it as well. It is well with my soul. It is well.
bless you this week and may you be a blessing.